This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. A smarter and productive way to collaborate at work? Well, that's the subject of the podcast today. But before I introduce my guest to you, please head on over to OverwhelmSucks.com to get my brand new free guide, Five Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm, OverwhelmSucks.com. Now, Liam Martin is my guest on the show today. Not only is he the co-founder of Time Doctor and a co-organizer of the world's largest remote work conference, Running Remote, he has co-authored a book focused on remote work methodology called Running Remote, and he is a repeat guest on the show all the way back on episode 118 on April 12th, 2019. Liam, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me yet again. <laughs> well, you and by the way, to me. Yes. you did. Yeah, I did. Uh, Overwhelm sucks. Such a great URL. When I think about exactly like <laughs> overwhelm sucks, it absolutely does. And I want to go there right now. I can't because, you know, uh, we're doing this podcast. But yeah, yeah I, I think that um, 118 versus where are we at right now? 1000 plus episodes. Yeah, 1117. So it's been wow. a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Very, you know, it's funny, long. a little inside entrepreneur uh, behind the scenes for the listener. Just thought I'd share this with you. You know, websites are pretty much dead. Landing pages are where it's at. Now, if you don't know what a landing page is, landing page is where you can only do one thing. That's it. Like if you go to overwhelmsucks.com, you can only get my guide. That's all you can do. Well, because markstucheski.com, people have trouble spelling that name. I sat at GoDaddy and I'm like, okay, what is a good URL? I tried this. That was taken. That was taken. That was taken. I'm like, how about overwhelmsucks.com? And amazingly, it was available. So when you go to overwhelmsucks.com, it does take you to markstuchowski.com forward slash overwhelm. You're welcome. So anyways, you reached out to me because I had a guest on my show and you reached out to me. Apparently, you listened to the show, which I think is absolutely amazing. You're like, you know what? I heard this guest on the show. I don't remember what guest it was. doesn't matter for the context of the show today. But you said, you know, I want to come back on. Can I come back on? I'm like, well, yeah, you did pretty good the first time. I think I'll give you a second shot. So welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think that for me, it's been kind of a crazy last six months in promotion for this book that I spent the last year and a half writing. I got a really good piece of advice from um, James Clear who mm -hmm. wrote Atomic Habits, which yep. has been undoubtedly the New York Times bestseller for the past two and a half years. He sells like 20,000 books a month. Wow. This guy's a behemoth. And I said, what was your one thing? If, you know, for me, I'm about to launch this book. What's the one thing? He said, get on to podcasts. Mm -hmm. He said, I did 500 podcasts before my book launched and 250 of those went live the day the book launched. So very simple instructions. That's why I'm here doing as many podcasts as humanly possible. I'm at 480. Wow. Uh, the, the book launches uh, August 16th. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it and maybe I can even beat this record. Wow. Incredible. And just so the listener knows, if you've never listened to the show before, why? But I'm glad you're here. I just recorded this episode yesterday. 
July 20th. You're hearing it on July 21st. So this is like in the moment. The, the, the ink is still wet on the podcast. That's how fresh this podcast is. Now I want you to understand something. He's this guy. Liam is an expert on remote work. Now, he was on my show in 2019. That was before our world forever changed in March of 2020. So I'm sure with your book, because everybody, everybody seems to be working working remotely. Now, some people don't like to work remotely. I love working from home. Right now, I'm in my my, uh, spare bedroom, my home. But let's, where do you want to start the conversation? Because you have a wealth of information of working remotely. And I'd like to give you the honor of choosing where you want to launch this, this episode. Well, first, let's set the stage because let's I think no one really understands what's happened over the last three years. So to your point, <laughs> February of 2020, 4% of the US workforce was working remotely. Wow. By March, what do you think the number was by March? I'm going to say 40%. 45% of the wow, U.S. workforce was working remotely. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That is the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. But the Industrial Revolution took 80 years, and we did that in March. Wow. So massive shift. And we're talking civilization-level shift of everything that we know about how we interact with our families, our friends, how we interact with work, how we interact with the coffee shop down the street. All of those things massively changed. There's a data set that just came out last week, which gave us an update to all of these numbers. And we're now sitting at about 30% of the U.S. workforce working in full or in part remotely. So the breakdown more specifically is 7% of the U.S. workforce is working full-time remotely. And then the other 23% is working hybrid, meaning they're working more than three days per week from home. And so we've actually achieved kind of like the bottom level, the absolute salinity point for the back to office. And we're now starting to see that number go back up again, which is really exciting for me, for someone who spent the last 20 years of their lives working remotely. And our mission statement is we're trying to empower the world's transition towards remote work. If you don't like remote work, obviously this is not the right podcast for you (laughs) because I'm pretty one-sided on this side of things, but like It's just such a big shift and no one really recognizes what's going to happen, not let alone what has currently happened. I mean, we're going to see a change in work that's going to completely transform our society and our civilization moving forward. Mm. What's interesting is I have been working remotely since 2005 when I was fired from my corporate job. So this is when, when the pandemic hit, it's like, eh, you know, it's just, it just, I was just operating like I always operated. I, I did everything via, you know, the zoom or online and I kind of liked the way working this way, but I will tell you that there are some people and I, I, I'd like to get in this for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are not they are not ready to work remotely. They need to be in the office. They, they need, I don't know, maybe they need to be supervised more, but is that, is that true? Do you see that there are some people that are just, maybe they're older, maybe they're just lazy. I don't know, but they just can't work dependently remotely. There's a really interesting phenomenon that's currently happening, which is as we've asked people to come back to the office or not me particularly, but effectively large corporates have been asking people to come back to the office. We're starting to see a diversion where the executives and the high level managers are actually working from home way more often 
than the employees that they're trying to force back into the office. Oh, wow. And so I've been asking this question quite a bit. There's actually, <clears throat> if you make over $100,000 per year, you're four times more likely to work remotely than if you make under $100,000 per year. So really interesting statistic there where we're starting to see a divergence of the rich and the poor. The rich can work remotely because they're knowledge workers. And if you are a customer support agent, as an example, or if you work in a call center, even though you could do that job very easily from home, no, we want you in the office. And I've been asking people this question constantly. Why? (laughs) Why do you want to do this? And they've given me a lot of excuses. Like, well, they're more productive when they work in the office. Well, you told me they were more productive when they worked from home. How many studies did we see showing definitively that people work more productively when they work from home? Well, it's good for team dynamic and team culture. Well, remote companies have on average an employee net promoter score, which is just a way of kind of measuring how happy employees are in their job of almost double what people have in an office. Hmm. And really, here's the reality is I wrote this book for about a year and a half. I studied dozens of remote first companies that were remote before the pandemic. And I found a really interesting statistic when I analyzed all of these companies. I recognized that their managerial layer was on average 50% thinner than their on-premise counterparts. So there are 50% less managers in remote companies than in-office companies and on-premise companies, bringing me to the inevitable conclusion that remote companies are just by design more efficient, what I am calling asynchronous organizations, because there's a very specific methodology that we talk about in the Running Remote book to break that down. But middle managers are effectively redundant. I think middle managers actually know that they're redundant in this new future of work, and they're kind of scared. So they're trying to get as many of those people as humanly possible to head back to the office. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. A real live example is my wife is a travel agent and she's a hybrid worker. Now, this is something I'm really confused about. And I told her this. I don't doesn't make any sense. So Tuesdays and Saturdays, she works from home. They give her a computer. She's got a spare bedroom, the Internet, the whole nine yards. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, she goes into work. I'm like, so you they actually give you two computers. You go into work and use those computers for three days, and this computer sits in our home unused. I'm like, why do you need to go in? You're on the phone all day dealing with doing travel agent stuff. And I don't understand that well, we, we you know we gotta come in. We want the group, like you just said, the the you know, the camaraderie. I'm like, but you got computers sitting at our house that are not used for three of the five days, and it's she has the same capability at work as she does at home. So I'm really confused why they want her in the office. And I asked her, and you know, she is not like me. I own my own company. She can't go ask them because you know they may say, well, there's the door, but that just confuses me. Yeah. So again, it comes back to this concept, which I, I break down in the book, asynchronous remote organizations use the platform as the manager and not necessarily individuals. So what I mean by that, and to kind of break down that concept is inside of remote companies, all of the process of reporting information from one group of people to the next group of people is effectively what a manager does. So I go to your wife and I say, Hey, 
how many, you know, how many flights did you book this week? I booked 12. And I take that information and I give it to you, the manager. And I say, well, um, that person booked 12 flights. Inside of remote companies, all of that is digitized. It's automated. So you don't need to actually have that communication of information, that game of telephone that existed inside of the 20th century office. It, it doesn't effectively exist. So when that process is redundant, um, there is, I think, a fight for the future where we're seeing these, um, I lovingly call them, you know, horses and they're getting replaced by Model Ts <laughs> where they're realizing, man, you know, your manager, really great guy, but I, I want to get that Model T. Like, I don't want to have to feed my horse and pick up his his crap, yep. <laughs> his junk all day long. Uh, so I think that th that's where we're going as a society right now. And it's such an interesting phenomenon because the companies that are adopting remote work are outpacing yep. on-premise organizations by a massive, massive level. Like we're talking, these companies are growing at rates of 150, 200% year over year in comparison to their competitors, just because they are fundamentally 40 to 50% cheaper per dollar. And what's interesting is my wife logs in to the same system that she logs in when she goes to work. And so all the accounting, all the numbers, all the analysis, everything's the same, but they wander in the office three days a week. And at home the other two days, she doesn't do anything different. She answers the phone the same way. She she books the travel the same way. And I'm just like, it's got to be because the owner or the C-suite people, they're stuck in the past. It, it's the only way I can think about it because logistically, productively, it makes zero sense to essentially give one employee two computers. One for home mm -hmm. and one from work. It doesn't make any sense. It's almost like, oh, here's, we're going to give you two cars. Okay. The, right. this car you can only drive back and forth to work on Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. The other car you can drive anywhere. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I you know, we've had a lot of conversations about it. I'm like, it, from a productivity standpoint, when the equipment is here, I don't get it. And I, it, and obviously she has no say in this. It comes from management, which probably came from the C-suite or the owners. There's two owners of the company. They are probably still stuck in the old way of doing things. Even though she's very productive, the numbers don't lie. They can tell the numbers are good, but they still want her in the office three out of the five days a week. Mm, well, so I've also been looking at these on-premise organizations, what people in the work world call office-based companies. And I've been trying to convince them to be able to go remote. And one of the experiments, if I was talking to them, or one of the first things that I would tell them to do is, why don't we do a split test? Let's take 50% of your staff, let's have them work from home, and the other 50% of your staff, randomly chosen, let's have them work from the office. Or more specifically, let's survey all of those team members, identify which ones want to be able to work in the office, which ones want to work from home, and then let's run an experiment for three months and see who makes more money at the end of the day. Now, I've run this experiment. The remote workers make more, and this was actually specifically one instance for a sales team, um, at the at a massive state of resistance <laughs> from the managers because they just were, they did not want this to happen. And then when I showed them the cold, hard data, uh, they still went back to the office because they have this argument that it was more of a cultural decision. 
than anything else, which I love this term culture that a lot of the companies are currently using today, because I don't think actually anyone really knows what culture is when they refer to culture. They just use it as an excuse to be able to force people back into the office. And it fundamentally doesn't work. You could actually build a lot more culture by going back to your wife and saying, hey, guys, why doesn't everybody on the team go out for drinks every Friday night? We'll pay the bill. It would be way easier than getting an office. There's some things that I don't want to go fully remote. I don't want my surgeon to go remote and say, okay, Mark, what you got to do is take the, the, the antibacterial soap and wash the area. Okay. Ground, grab the cell scalpel. I want to go to the emergency room. I want to go to the, to a, a, an operating room for that. But I noticed that there's other things that are going fully remote as well. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a ticket. Okay. Now this is a little rant from me. Because I got a ticket for an expired registration, not speeding, not going through red light. I've never, I've gotten tickets in the past for uh, an expired expired registration, but it was always in conjunction with something else. I got nailed for an expired registration. But anyways, everything's online. Everything's on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Everything now. I didn't go to the Zoom court hearing because I was guilty. I would, you know, I'm not going. I'm not going to fight it. It's kind of silly. But right. they're going on. So more and more things are going online, and I think that is one of the blessings, if you can say a blessing from the pandemic, because it kind of shook the world up. It's kind of like a snow globe. It shook the world up and go, yeah. Why aren't we doing this remote? Why aren't we working from home? Why aren't we doing these things on Zoom? Because my cousin, he's an IT guy. Again, same situation with my wife. He works home two days a week, goes in office three days a week. He's doing the same thing on the same software, using the same computer. He's got one at home and one at work. And he's like, yeah, he's asked his boss. I'm like, why do I have to come in the office? Well, we want you to be seen. Why? Because communication is all done via DM or IM in the office or email. Because no one ever comes to my office. Why am I here? And again, I'm willing to bet you if I talk to the C-suite, they're probably going to say, well, you know, this working from home is kind of new and it's not new. You've been doing this for a number of years. I think there may be hesitancy. You know, what if they're goofing off? What if they're watching Netflix? Again, you can tell from the analytics and hopefully you have analytics or statistics on the system that these employees are using if they're doing the work or not. I mean, it's not that hard. Do you feel overwhelmed and frustrated? Are you under a lot of stress? There's a better way. You only get one life, so why not feel peace and freedom and enjoy your life? You can. Find out more at 90daystobustingoverwhelm.com. Well, and what if they are on Netflix or Facebook or or doing all those things? Are their numbers still good? Hmm. Do you care? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I, so if I'm... If I'm hiring a salesperson, and that's a very simplistic example, and I think that there are more difficult ones that are unfortunately more of a gray area, but fundamentally, if I have a salesperson and that salesperson is successful in their job and they're able to achieve the same level of sales in four hours of work as someone else that does eight hours of work, number one, congratulations, gold star for you, but number two... Could you show me how you do that so I could actually teach other people to be able to be better at their jobs? And this is the big thing that is being missed is presence is very different from actually getting things done. Mm -hmm. And there's a massive, massive disparity between 
the, I'm, I'm calling it a chasm, right? Everyone's in the office. I got my eyeballs on everyone on the, in the office. So therefore everyone's working. They're not working. They're just, they got, <laughs> they've got Netflix on their, on their AirPods. You know, they're, they're on Facebook. They're on their phones. They're doing mm-hmm. all these types of things. The average worker spends four hours and 11 minutes doing work per day. Out of eight hours, eight, eight, eight hours. hours, allegedly. Now yeah. that's not including lunch. So you're talking nine right. minus one for an hour for lunch. So that's eight hours. So they're doing about just over four hours with the work. They're playing around. Um, and, and that's <laughs> fine because there actually is uh, one of the, the philosophical underpinnings for my book is a book called Deep Work by my friend. Oh, Cal I Newport. love Cal Newport's work. Yes. Yeah. So effectively deep work is the concept that everyone, that an individual has everything at their disposal to be able to solve a very hard and difficult problem. And so running remote is simply the application of that concept on an organizational scale. And the reality is that you can't actually focus more than about four hours per day mm-hmm. on average. So you want to be able to use that time with as high a leverage as humanly possible. So do I want to spend my time answering emails out of that four hours or I'm going back to the sales analogy. Do I want to close deals, right? Do I want to do demos with people? Those types of things. That's where you really have to figure out where do I want to apply my time and how effectively am I applying my time and analyzing that data. And a lot of people use managers as the old version of kind of measuring that account basically producing that type of accountability, but there's a much more autonomous way of doing it, which is, as you said, measuring metrics inside of the organization. How many sales are we doing? Um, How many phone calls are we doing? Is that the right decision to make? Is that the wrong decision to make? And looking at it and being very open and honest and saying, here's how I can become more productive as an individual and adding that into the organization. Managers at this point, they haven't really figured that out. Unfortunately, it's more about whether you're there not whether you're doing something. When I was fired back, before I was fired back in 2005, I, you know, because you said the four hours and 11 minutes, I think it was people are working. I used to work, I was an inventory control coordinator at Outside Warehouse, and they used to have these meetings at the main hospital complex. And so think about this. I would stop my work. I would get in the car. I would drive over to the main hospital complex, which took about 15 minutes. Then I had to park. Then I had to walk up, find the building, Find the room, walk in the room, and then it's social, social 15, 20 minutes. People are getting the Danish, getting coffee, getting settled down. And the meeting was probably an hour, but I lost half a day just in transportation and chit-chatting and eating. And and I don't think people realize, oh, I worked eight hours. Did you really work eight hours? I heard a stat once, this puts into perspective. My pastor said a number of years ago, he says, how many minutes do you think the Super Bowl they're actually running plays now it's 48 minutes no 60 minutes so let me ask you before I reveal the answer 60 minutes of Super Bowl how many minutes of those 60 are they actually running plays this goes in conjunction with what Mm. you're talking about oh I would say 40 minutes but that's my gut reaction it's probably wrong seven (laughs) seven out of 60 they're actually because they run a play then they walk back to the huddle move the ball so seven minutes out of 60 so if you think what liam said four and a half a little more than four hours that you're working during the day yeah okay well when you think of football 
they're only actually running plays seven of 60 minutes. So that's really more believable because when you're going to the bathroom, you're walking there, you're not working. You're probably stopping off to say hello to someone. Hey, how's the baby? How's the family? You're not working. What mm-hmm. if you have to wait in line to get something at the snack area at your company? You're not working. So it's really difficult to quantify how much you're actually working because it, it, then if you're tracking whether you're working or not, are you actually working? So if I'm going to like, okay, I'm going to send an email. Okay, so I had, I'm going to send one email and you can overcomplicate when you're trying to track everything. So I think that we need people like you who can track it for us because I don't want my employees tracking whether they're working or not, because then they're not working, they're tracking. Yeah. Well, so I I think also too, when you think about the office, it's really a distraction factory, right? It's just these constant, can I get five minutes of your time? When I actually, when I worked in an office for a very, very small amount of time, we opened up an office once because we thought that we should have salespeople that should be, you know, in-person synchronous. And the amount of people that would come up to me asking me questions that I had already written down and put into process documents and I put somewhere else inside of the organization was infuriating because it's not just answering their question for five minutes. It's then going back to my computer and saying, what was I working on? Oh, I was trying to write this blog post. Uh, where am I in this blog post? I got to reread the last page and a half of this thing. Okay, now I've read the last page and a half of it, and uh, there's there's some grammatical errors that I've got to fix before I actually get to writing new pieces of content. And it takes 25 minutes for this five-minute interruption, and it comes to the basis of what the 20th century office environment has created, which is a sunk cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. So we talk about this in the book quite a bit. When you have an office, you pay a sunk cost to all come together to one particular place. I call it a collaboration buffet. So everyone spends 90 minutes walking, getting on a bus, going the metro, driving your car, bicycle to be able to get to that one place every single day. Once you're there, it's a collaboration buffet. We might as well collaborate as much as humanly possible because we've already paid that cost, right? We've already commuted to that one particular place. Asynchronous remote teams recognize that you pay that cost every time that you meet on Zoom or on Google Meet or whatever you're using. Mm. So we say to ourselves, do we need to have this meeting? Maybe we should actually just have everyone continue to work on what they're currently working on. Uh, Does this meeting need to be 90 minutes? Maybe it can be 30 minutes and we can get the same amount of work done. Mm. And it just creates a really interesting feedback loop where people are focused more on deep work more of their day is optimized towards deep work than on the bureaucracy of work, the preparation of work, which is in an office environment required, but in a remote environment is not required. Yeah. Offices for the most part are not set up for productivity where I was, my office was, it was an open office area. And so everyone would come in the front door and they would all walk by my desk. Even if they didn't say anything to me, I could be working on something and they walk by and my eyes go up to them naturally because someone just walked by the office. And so I don't think people who are creating office spaces are thinking, how can we create an office area that's going to be more conducive to productivity? I know Mark Zuckerberg and the owners of the, the creators of Google, they want all this open office concept. So it's just one big room. 
And think about that. You can't do deep work in that kind of environment. You, this is impossible unless you're maybe deaf. Maybe then you could, but then you're going to start seeing things moving around. So I, I think if people really want to have productive employees, if you can, you need to encourage them working from home. Like I said, my cousin, he's a database administrator. He's really smart. He's in all this programming stuff. He needs it quiet and it's more quiet at home when he's in his room with all his computers from work. He can get a lot more stuff done because he can ignore or mute the notifications coming in and stuff like that. But when he's in the office, people come by and first of all, got five minutes. It's never five minutes and it's, and it takes him a while. It takes him maybe five minutes to wind up to what they're going to ask you. And then you're 10, 15 minutes. So if, if a company really wants a productive employee, and you want them to have the, the, the ability to do deep work. Well, you got to give them an area where they're not going to be distracted. And I would say in most cases, that can be working from home. Absolutely. I, I think the other thing that managers are starting to recognize at this point, begrudgingly, is a major job of a manager is to protect your employees from distractions. And the largest source of distractions are unfortunately the manager. Asking for those updates. How are you today? Can you get me your, I can't remember the office space, the TI-83 report that the guy gets four memos for. And he's like, I already got the memo. I got the memo, right? Like (laughs) that's the type of stuff that's so infuriating to these team members. And in the current job market where we've got effectively 100% employment, two to two and a half percent unemployment rate in the United States, those employees are leaving. And the primary reason why they're leaving is because you're not giving them remote work agreements. And it's such an important thing to recognize is if you are a manager at this point, you really have to evolve yourself from management to more leadership. Mm. Focus more on the soft skills of management. How are you? What can I do to be able to unblock some of the barriers that you currently have? Are you having problems with other team members that I can help with? Really kind of more like a psychologist than someone that asks you whether or not you read the memo or whether you got your TI-84 report in on time. One of the things I hear all the time from leaders is people can be easily distracted when they work from home. I want you to think about how many distractions that we've already talked about in the show today at work. And I think the distractions at work far outweigh the distractions at home. Yeah. The distractions at home, you may have FedEx or the mail person, or you may have the dirty dishes in the sink, but I think the distractions at home are far less because when you're in an office, especially an open office, an open plan, uh, open floor plan, you've got an unlimited number of distractions. So I would say, that it's more distraction-free working from home than it is going into the office. Well, they're not called distractions in the office. They're called collaboration. <laughs> okay. So that's the difference, right? That that conversation in the hallway at the water cooler asking how the game went last week, <laughs> that's collaboration. That's not, that's not a distraction, okay. right? Uh, or, you know, the, the person that's running into the bathroom for the seventh time because he wants to check his social media on his phone as opposed to actually just being allowed to be able to do it at his desk mm. and work that into his workflow, right? People do these things. You're not going to stop them. They can yeah. either do it overtly or they can do it covertly. And I would personally prefer that they do it overtly. And let's yeah. just be honest with everybody and say, hey, listen, 
I check Facebook about eight or nine times a day. I go on to Twitter another 20 times a day and my numbers are still pretty good. And that's what I'm currently doing in my life. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous to be able to not really give everyone a cold, hard look at where their productivity is and how they can improve it as opposed to, as we had stated before, focusing on presence and not on action. And it goes back to what we said before, the metrics. So if you say, hey, Mr. Employee, Mrs. Employee, here are your targets for the day, A, B, C. If they're making those targets, or even better, if they're exceeding their targets, why do you care if they're on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube? Because you can look and go, holy cow, they're exceeding the targets. So why do you care? But they, there's something, and I think this is maybe older leaders, they look and they go, yeah, but they're on their phone, but they're exceeding the targets that you gave them. So you shouldn't care because you have the numbers. In our organization and a lot of other asynchronous organizations, every single team member has a quantifiable longitudinal metric. So a metric that we can measure every day, week, month, usually it's every week. Mm-hmm. that is automatically built into our system. So the actual employee doesn't report it manually. It's reported by the platform. And everyone in the organization can see it. We have a concept, which is everyone should theoretically have the same informational advantage as the CEO, so that when the CEO makes a difficult decision, everyone generally accepts that decision because they have the same information in front of them as the CEO does. But when you look at that data, you really can start to get some interesting insights into what the definition of productivity is. Mm. Counterintuitively, maybe checking Facebook two to three times a day boosts someone's productivity and doesn't lower it. Do you know? Have you tested it? <laughs> you don't know. So it's you have to look at this from a very pragmatic and agnostic view. And that's what we've done. And the the beauty of that is when you look at it, from a non 20th century MBA lens, you can actually build some really interesting insights to your point with regards to open offices and the thing that really Mark Zuckerberg made big, right? Study after study have shown that those open offices do not work. A case study is not a statistic. And just because John is doing really well at his job doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, everyone should do what John does unless you can actually put that data together and come up with some really good ideas about how to improve everyone's overall productivity. And a lot of those are very counterintuitive. Uh, We've seen so many data points where we're like, wow, okay, so giving everyone an extra 30 minutes at lunch seems to boost productivity. That's counterintuitive. (laughs) You know, those types of things are just really cool. And when you look at the data and you think this is a win for the employee, this is a win for the company, why wouldn't we do it? It's because people are locked into that 20th century mindset of presence equals productivity. Mm. It does not. Yeah, absolutely. So running remote, a book coming out, you say August 16th, and I'm sure it's going to be available everywhere. And so tell us a little bit more about the book. I mean, I know you alluded to it a lot during the show, but tell us more about, you know, why did you want to create the book? What is your goal of the book? So the book was written counterintuitively, not about remote work. So um, HarperCollins, my publisher, has had a really interesting conflict with me because I wanted to call it async. Um, 
but they wouldn't let me because they said, remote work is the big thing. We got to call it running remote. So we call it running remote. <laughs> but it's basically this concept that there were all of these remote pioneers before the pandemic. And I interviewed dozens of them that have built absolutely extraordinary companies, eight, nine, 10 figure organizations, DECA unicorns. And they did it using this methodology that I'm calling asynchronous management, which is the ability to be able to manage people without synchronously communicating with them, building systems and processes and putting them in place so that you are not the, you don't, you're not in the business, you're operating the business. And so this is something that the remote work community figured out over a decade ago when we all went remote because the remote community was so small, no one really paid attention to it. So I'm trying to tell people if remote work didn't work for you, if you're having difficulty with it, if you've tried it and it hasn't really kind of caught, it's probably because you're using the different, uh, the different, you're not using the right managerial systems. And this book is actually going to teach you how to do that. So August 16th, it comes out. Mm -hmm. Is there, do you have a website for the book? Runningremotebook.com. Super simple. Uh, and if you can't afford the book or go to the conference, YouTube channel is also a really great spot. YouTube.com slash running remote. All of our talks are up there for free. So if you just want to kind of learn more information on how to build and scale remote teams, either the book or the YouTube channel is a great resource. So tell us about the conference before we wrap up. Sure. So conference has been running for five years. Wow. Uh, we always talk about how we were doing remote work before it was cool. And <laughs> I've been working remotely for 20 years. Uh, so definitely been doing it. Um, not as long as you, but almost. And almost. the reality is that when we started this conference, and it's kind of crazy to think about this, but there were no big companies that were remote. Like I could count on one hand the organizations that were more than a thousand people that were remote. So we said, well, we really want to build a conference about how to build and scale serious businesses, billion dollar companies. And that was the thesis for the conference. So if you're interested in building and scaling remote teams to a billion dollar company and above, running remote's the place to be. Wow. Well, Liam, you, you hit it out of the park again. You did it back in 2019 on episode 118. <laughs> you did it again today in 2022. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Thanks for having me. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I know that there is an endless stream of options for you in this day and age, but you took the time to listen to the episode, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to head on over to top5productivitytips.com and get my gift to you, my top five productivity tips. Remember, it's the number five in top5productivitytips.com. They will serve you well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you again real soon.